This episode is brought to you by Thorn, the industry leader in nutritional solutions. Now, Thorn is actually trusted by eight U.S. national teams and championship teams in the NFL, NBA, and Major League, as well as recently becoming the official sports performance nutrition partner of the UFC. So when it comes to supplements... The tactical athlete space and the athletic space need two things. We need efficacy, meaning the products do what they say they're going to do on the label. And then we need to trust the fact that we are not going to fail either athletic drug tests or work-related drug tests. Now, Thorne has actually been around since the 1980s, where they were used by physicians and hospitals for nutritional supplements for the patients. They were so successful that athletic teams and even special operations teams reached out to them and they started supplying them as well. Very recently, they actually opened their doors to the general public. Now, what sets Thorne apart is they manufacture their own products in a state-of-the-art NSF-certified facility in South Carolina. They use only the purest possible ingredients formulated with no stearates or arbitrary fillers in the cleanest manufacturing process. Most of you listening come from a profession where it can take its toll physically and mentally, and many of us are not able to bolster our nutrition purely with the food that we eat. And that's where supplementation comes in. So if you're ready to maximize your health and performance, visit thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Take a short product quiz to be paired up with the perfect health and fitness supplements. And for you, the audience, if you use the code BTS10, behind the shield 10, BTS10, you will get 10% off your first order. And if you want to learn even more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of Behind the Shield podcast and you will hear my interview with Wes Barnett and Joel Totoro from Thorn. This episode is sponsored by 511, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 511 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 511 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not I have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 511tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, 
you'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. Welcome to episode 611 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show Justin Melnick. Now, currently, Justin is known as Brock, the canine handler in the TV show SEAL Team. But as you will hear, he's lived a very storied life. So we discuss a host of topics from working in nightclubs, war photography, stunts, law enforcement, and so much more. Before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of well over 600 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you, Justin Melnick. Enjoy. Well, Justin, I want to start by saying thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. So where on planet Earth are we finding you on this fine evening? I'm at CBS Radford, where we film SEAL Team with Pepper the Dutchie drinking some protein. Hi. Brilliant. Well, I would love to start at the very beginning. You've got a very interesting and colorful kind of story from what i've heard through you know the research i've done and through through doris that connected us as well so i'd love to start at the very beginning so tell me where you were born and then tell me a little bit about your family dynamic what your parents did and how many siblings uh born in new york city one sibling dad was a gynecologist uh mom worked in garment industry making fabrics and stuff and then uh Grew up in New York City for a bit and then moved up to New Hampshire where I went to school for four years. Did a lot of rock climbing, ice climbing, whitewater paddling, really got into nature stuff. And then uh, moved to Colorado for a year for college for hotel restaurant management. Got a job offer to move back to New York. And that's when I got into the world of nightclubs. All right. Well, that's a <laughs> that was a fast kind of summary. So going back for a second, um, when obviously what we're talking about now you became very entrenched in the canine world so did you have any family pets were there any elements of your childhood that kind of steered you towards that no no never had a dog i ended up with dita just completely randomly uh my roommate uh who's a police officer canine officer the big city next to where i worked i needed to get rid of her due to some personal circumstances and I saw an opportunity to incorporate her into our small department and, and used her for search and rescue and kind of help uh, help where it was needed. You know, I had a lot of freedom to travel with my with where I was working, and what I was doing for my police department. So brilliant. So with the, the physical side, that's something I talk about a lot in the first responder professions is, you know, strength and conditioning and being prepared to do the job that you know saves lives. So. When you were at the school age, what were some of the things that you were playing or how were you training back then? I mean, I climbed 340 to 350 days a year. 
uh, rain, snow. If it was raining, we'd find boulders that were overhanging and we'd climb underneath there and boulder. You know, uh, I mean, this is before bouldering even had its own rating. We'd climb indoors at gyms on those days. And when it was sunny out, we'd go out and some days we'd go climb bolted routes at little sport crags. And other days we'd go hit alpine routes on major, major peaks in the White Mountains. Um, it was, it was, you know, it was rugged, man. You were hiking, you were carrying all your gear, you were pushing, pushing for time, you know, trying to beat daylight and knock out these big routes. It's pretty cool to be 14, 15 years old with other 14, 15 year olds and like going out and climbing some big shit. So it was, it was, uh, it was a fun, it's a fun existence. And was that why you were in New York or was it New Hampshire by that, that point? New Hampshire. Okay. New York is New York City. You don't do anything in New York City that's productive. Yeah, climb buildings. I mean, you can mess around on them, but you get too high and the cops come. Yeah. <laughs> well, with the career element, I mean, again, you end up finding yourself in a multitude of different professions. What were you dreaming of while you were school age? That's a long time. You know how many TBIs I've had, man? Come on. <laughs> I can't remember that. I can't even tell you what I had for breakfast today. Um, you know, I always, I went, I did what every kid did. Oh, I wanted to be a lawyer at first, a fireman as a kid. And I wanted to be a police officer. You know, I wanted to be a Navy SEAL as a kid. Um, you know, it's the older I got, it wasn't until I got into the restaurants and nightclub stuff that I really, you know, I worked at a gas station for a bit. That wasn't for me, but uh, I enjoyed it while I was there. I was damn good at filling up people's tanks too. Back in the day when there was full serve. Hey, will you guys knock it off, please? That's not going to turn out well for either of you. Go, Kennel. Go. Two Malinois. I got, it's like Thunderdome. Two Malinois enter, one leaves. I've literally got two German shepherds the other side of my office door, so we're having the same experience right now. Yeah, go, go, go. Feed them like an ounce of crack. Cocaine, <laughs> like six Red Bulls, and then you get a Belgian Malinois right there. <laughs> kennel. So, yeah, they're nuts. Uh, great dogs, great working dogs, but do not buy one as a pet. They are not good pets. They will ruin your life. Um, where were we? So we uh, ended up... I think we were, in, we're talking about nightclubs. So, so let's walk through that. You you graduate school. You, you're looking into oh, the hospitality. Oh, well, let's, let's backtrack then. So let's talk about that. Dropped out of college. I was going for hotel restaurant management. I was like, dude, these nerds here are all failed restaurateurs and they're teaching me how to work at like, you know, some fancy fine dining restaurant, which like, that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to do cool restaurants. I wanted to do hip spots, trendy spots, fun spots. So uh, rolled out of college to go help my buddy open up some restaurants in New York City got fed up with that and, and got into nightclubs and nightclubs were fun. Cause you had all the control control who was in the club, what kind of music was being played real artistic kind of curation abilities in that, which was great. But the world that you lived in was just horrible, man. Like you don't see it then in the moment you think you're the coolest dude in the world. You're jetting off on people's private jets and going to their islands and, you know, the Caribbean or getting on their yachts in the south of France for weeks and never having to pay for a certain thing. And you feel special and, oh, this is fabulous. But, you know, in the end of the day, you do pay. You pay with your soul. Like there's it's a lifestyle that like I'm glad I got to live because there's no 
there's no one with fame or power that will get me to do something that I don't want to do now. Uh, because I've seen the other side of it. I know what it's like to fly in a private jet and wake up on a different remote island every three days, stay in the best hotels. Like I did it all as a kid on the other people's dimes. It was, you know, it was fun, but it just wasn't, you know, going from party to party to party, you know, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't earn your place in this world. You know, you're just, you're just sucking up air in my opinion. And you know what, if that makes you happy, live your best life. I'm not judging. I know for myself, I'm glad I experienced it, but I wouldn't want to do it anymore. So, um, got out of the nightclub stuff, ended up getting into combat or fashion photography first. And, um, you know, it was just the same people, different time of day, you know, it was, people cared what kind of shoes you were wearing or the watch you were wearing, or you found yourself going out and buying a new suit or just new shoes. So you'd fit in and people would think it was cool or this and just things that don't matter, like things that don't matter. It doesn't matter what shoes you wear. If they're comfortable, go wear them, enjoy them. I wear Uggs 90% of the time now. Um, so, uh, so I, I just didn't want to do that anymore. And I was really lost. And I was at a bar one night and I ran into a buddy who was also a nightclub promoter back in the day. And he had found God and started a charity that brought water to, uh, he started in Uganda. It was like 2005, 2004. He started trying to raise money to build a well. So we got his first well built. Uh, this guy named Joseph Coney, the Lord's Resistance Army, the LRA, um, not to be confused with the Irish IRA, uh, were down there wreaking havoc. And it wasn't a war that people heard about because, you know, like the RUF in Sierra Leone was, you know, exporting diamonds. You had the whole blood diamond thing. They made movies about it. There's in the news because everybody wore diamonds. But Uganda, nobody cared about Uganda. So. This dude was financing his war through prostitution and human trafficking of young girls. And he was making young kids just into the most violent, savage warriors you could ever imagine. You know, seven-year-olds running around with PKMs and just dusting fools, AKs, no fear, doped up on his crazy magic drugs. Um, it was nuts. So I went down into Uganda, landed in Kampala, linked up with a local asset had the GPS coordinates of the well, went down there and photographed the well for him and just kind of, you know, loved it. Loved it is a wrong term to use. I'm sorry. I completely appreciated um, the experience, you know, for selfish reason is it smacked me in the fucking face. You know, it's I'm a New York City kid, you know, I grew up being able to turn on the tap water and just drink out of it. Like, these people were drinking out of fucking puddles, puddles, puddles that you wouldn't step in. You wouldn't want to get on your shoes, puddles. Not only that, but they'd walk three to four miles, you know, with those fucking gas jerry cans to fill up these muddy puddles to bring home so that they had water for the day. There was no clean water. I mean, it was just put a whole new appreciation to, to what we have here. And, you know, 
what can we do to help? That was the, you know, what can we do to help? You, you don't grow up wondering what you can do to help when you live in a first world nation in a big city. Like no matter how poor people are, no matter how rough childhood is, it doesn't even equivalent closely to what is going on in some of these countries. So uh, stayed for a while, you know, hung out with the chick that was running the organization uh, that helped relocate the girls that Joseph Coney and his friends would kidnap, uh, take them out of the sex trade, put them in schools on the other side of the country to, to kind of protect them and rehabilitate them and try and give them a chance at a normal life after the atrocities they experienced. So spent some time there, traveled the country and, um, and that was the start of it, man. That was the start of it. So from there I hitch rides on those dudes from the nightclubs, you know, they were flying on their private jet somewhere in the world. I'd fly halfway there and, put together the rest of the money and get myself into another country, book a small flight. And I mean, I went everywhere, did every continent, but Australia and if Antarctica, if you consider that a continent, um, saw it all, saw, went to countries and had crazy experiences, scary experiences, beautiful experiences, made wonderful friends, made great contacts, got away from people trying to kidnap me. You name it. I, fucking lived it all um yeah and then that all culminated in afghanistan i went there and i embedded with the national guard the new york national guard they had a really historic mission and they were a very historic unit um their mission was embedded training teams and police mentoring teams ett's and pmt's and uh what was so significant about it is it was New York City cops teaching Afghan cops how to be cops. And I'm sorry, New York City is one of the finest police departments in the country. You know, they have set the bar higher and created more assets for more local agencies around the country to aspire to and get access to. They're, they're awesome. So I went out there to document that. And they um, they finished their mission and I got new creds and embedded with the airborne and just got lost for a little over three months, hitching rides on 47s and Blackhawks around the country, linking up with dudes at cigar nights, finding out, finding out about cool ops and rolling out and documenting everything. Um, it was mind blowing. And that was probably that was the culmination for me because I came out of Afghanistan seeing a caliber of human being that I'd never met before. Um, just the most, you know, I never really had a dad. My dad wasn't ever really a father at all. Not a bad dude, just wasn't a dad. Um, these, these men were just incredible. And, uh, you know, I was like, you know, God, I was probably 20, eight at the time, but I felt like I was 14 around them. I was like, I, I want to be like you when I grow up, you know, it's just high caliber people with values, morals, dedication, and loyalty. And, and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm done with it. I'm done with the camera. I'm going to go get a gun and I'm going to go help you guys. 
So came back, started going through the 18 x-ray program stuff, getting all my paperwork, which is a direct to special operations program that the army has. And, um, ended up making a call, you know, I just knew that I didn't have the ability to, to do that job. I was not physically, mentally. Yeah. I knew I wasn't scared of war. I knew I wasn't scared of getting shot at. I knew I was physically fit enough to handle anything that could get thrown at me. Um, but personality wise, you know, I'd never worked in big teams before. It always, all my sports were always individual sports. You know, I, I didn't understand the dynamic and what it takes to be a good team member. And I'm still learning that, you know, 20 years later, or 15 years later, I'm still learning that every day. I learn something new about being a better person and, and evolving. Um, so I dropped out of that whole program thing and didn't end up signing my name on the dotted line. I was, and, uh, because you, you can make it physically, but you could also get peered out of those programs for people that don't know. So, you know, if you don't, if your teammates don't like you, you can get peered out and, and you're, you know, you're gone. So, so I quit that whole idea and, you know, I kind of didn't know what I was going to do. And then I ended up in Indiana uh, through a mutual friend and I interviewed at a couple departments and got hired by most of them. And then went on, uh, went on, a, had a meeting, uh, one of my final meetings, uh, I was with the chief and there was a call that he had to go deal with. And I saw the way he talked to people and I saw the way he solved the problem. Uh, and I just looked at him like, that's my guy. That's the guy that I'm going to learn from, you know? And I just, so much respect for him, so much love for him. It's just a real, not a politician, just a real guy. Um, and so I got hired by him and went to work for him. And that was a really fun six or seven years. He gave me enough rope to hang myself with. And I got to run around to every military unit and police department that I knew dudes at and train with them and bring the training home. So it was a really fun program, really fun project. And then from there, the dog stuff happened. So it was, it was fantastic. Well, I want to go back to Uganda for a second. Um, I had a couple of guests. One, uh, Justin Wren, who's a UFC fighter, heavyweight. I love him. Yeah. He's, he's a good human being right there. He is. So he has fight for the forgotten. So, you know, obviously one of his things is exactly what you're talking about, bringing water to Uganda. Another kind of different lens, I had Ishmael Bey, who was a child soldier in Sierra Leone. His, fa his family were murdered, exactly like you told me. He was basically going to be executed or become a boy soldier. He was drugged up. And ultimately, it was actually an American Red Cross member who rescued him. He was 18 years old. So pretty incredible rehabilitation story from being that person to what he is now, which is a UNICEF ambassador for child soldiers. So, um, you know, what are, what are some of the kind of the pictures that stick with you that maybe the Western audience need to hear about some of the the ways that some of these children are being brought up in contrast to how damn good we've got it where we live. I mean, you can't even put it to words, man. It's like in a nightmare, in a nightmare, you see a child wandering around a village with such an infection in his belly that it's 
bloated out that he looks fat, but the kid hasn't eaten in, you know, days. They, it's, you know, I mean, things that we take for granted, having to brush our teeth at night before we go to bed, they don't have that, you know? It's just clean water is just the, you know, the most basic thing. Even in the, even when you're in Las Vegas and you're like, oh, the tap water tastes like garbage, it's still drinkable. You drink it your entire life and be fine. You know, this, you know, oh, our cell phone battery is dead. (laughs) No cell phones there. Although Africa does have the best cell service of any country I've ever been to. Really? Oh, yeah. Some of these, you know, not Africa. Sorry. That was a very large generalization. The country <laughs> of Uganda in, in Africa. has, But other countries have, that I've been to have also had wonderful cell phone service there. Um, uh, yeah, man. It's just you can't compare the two even remotely. Nightmare stuff. So I want to ask you a question that I posed to anyone who has been deployed forward in, in combat. And and the reason I always ask this question is, especially here in the US, we get a very polarized image of war, either the kind of written, let's be honest, the far right, kill them all, let God sort them out mentality, or the far left, you're all a bunch of baby killers. Um, you know, let's send, you know, hearts and prayers, and that will sort it all out. The, what I always want to tease out is kind of what Sebastian Younger talks about with the, the um, Veterans Town Hall philosophy, where we ask the actual men and women that were out there, you know, what they saw. So it's a two-part question. The first part, as you were deployed to Afghanistan, was there a moment, regardless of all the politics that sent our men and women over there, where you witnessed, you know, whether it was atrocities or whatever it was, that there were horrible people over there that did need to be taken care of by our men and women? Well, I wasn't deployed over there because I wasn't in the military. Um, uh, but, but, you were, but what I mean is you were, you were physically amongst the people that were deployed the same way as uh, Tim Hetherington was. You know, I think Hoot in, in uh, Black Hawk Down said it best. Once that first bullet whizzes past your head, politics go out the window, you know? Um, they, uh, it's not about the politics. It's not, a, it's, it's about the dude to your right. It's about the dude to your left and it's about helping the people that are there. So, you know, things that I saw that were wonderful were, you know, the, the troop, one of the units I was with their local church group and their kids schools put together backpacks and school supplies and all the stuff for the Afghan children. And they would go out. And anytime you get in a convoy to go out there, Anytime you leave the wire, you risk getting hit by an IED or a, a, a vehicle-borne IED. You know, it, it ain't, you know, gunfights, whatever. You know, gunfight, you can handle. Fix and find, destroy. IEDs are kind of indiscriminate, indiscriminate killers, and they're hard to, to counteract. Uh, so it's dangerous, but they would risk their life, not for missions, but to go help the local community. I mean, dude, I remember sitting on the top of this little outpost I was at we were on an air assault and someone drove a suicide bomb into it and like killed like 20 something Afghans. The two Americans left behind on the compound, like we're lucky to be alive. But this, this, if we were there, not on that mission, we would have all been dead. We would have been out in the parking lot. We would have been in the gym working out, would have been toast. But I mean, I'm talking like three days of picking up 
body parts, putting them into bags for collection stuff, like just gnarly, gnarly. They published the video online right after that. And it's kind of just surreal watching, but sitting on the roof of this outpost as, as they're pulling it all apart to decommission it. And like all of a sudden gunshots ring out and like, we think it's incoming fire, but it was some Afghan dude killing his daughter because she wanted to marry a son from another tribe. Like, you know, it's like, that's fucking insane. Like, that's just a whole nother level. And I'm not trying to tell people what religion to have or how to live their life or their values, but like, it's your daughter. My daughter can marry anybody she fucking wants and I will support it fully as long as they're a good dude and care for her and wake up every morning and wonder what they need to do to earn her love. That's all I care about. Um, they, you know, it's, it's just, it's just a crazy country, but yeah, it's politics. The politicians will always do what they're going to do. They've done it for centuries and they'll continue doing it while we exist as a planet. So, and you kind of touched on the other side of the, the, the coin because it's, it's the whole picture that I'm trying to give. And for example, these are some of the things that come up over again. Like you said, when people are there, that's the mission to protect the people that are there. And I think that's another huge misunderstanding. And I've talked about this a lot. Like we're not at war with Afghanistan. We weren't or Iraq. We, you guys were or our military were hunting extremists within that country that were also terrorizing their own people. The other story it doesn't get told, and you touched on it a little bit, is the kindness and compassion element. So flipping the coin completely, what were some of the moments of kindness and compassion that you witnessed, whether it was amongst the Afghani people themselves or whether it was members of the military? I mean, just guys like – I remember one morning in Kanduz, we were up north, and we like walked out on a patrol to this local village and brought a bunch of food for the kids and med- medical supplies. and. You know, just there, it's just so much. It was part of daily life, you know, hearts and minds. But like you said, we weren't at war with the Afghan people. We were trying to dismantle the Taliban, which are fucking out of their mind. I mean, we're talking about people that won't let little, they'll throw acid on a little girl before letting her get an education. No games, no music, no playing. You know, watching Afghan ch- girl or going to an Afghan girls' school and watching them play soccer and volleyball was just amazing. You know, no kid in 20 years had been able to play soccer in Afghanistan. You know, the Taliban told uh, like the United Nations or UNICEF, like, hey, build us a soccer stadium so so the people can have a sport to watch. And they were, you know, I think it was the United Nations. They were it was like 94. They're like, sure, we'd love to do that. That would be awesome. Oh, guys, they're coming around. And then as soon as the soccer stadium's built, they fucking kick those people out and they use it for public executions. I mean, the fact that we turn that country over to those people is beyond me, is beyond me. So I don't know. I don't want to talk too much about Afghanistan. It gets me very, very sad, I think despite losing 13 service members and a poorly executed evacuation, you know, it's the whole thing. It shouldn't have ended. We should be there helping those people. We left so many good humans to fucking die. And I hope God judges whoever made those decisions because it is, 
horrible. Yeah. Well, again, I appreciate your perspective because it's that those are the ones we don't hear, the people that were actually there. And I agree. And, and another resounding common denominator that comes out of so many people, especially though, um, Green Berets, is, is seems to be we should have gone in year and a half, two years max, done, you know, destroyed the camps, targeted the people that need to be targeted, educated the, you know, be the force multiplier and then got out. And, you know, sadly, 18 more years and then that kind of withdrawal. I mean, it's horrendous. I haven't it, had it anyone. Held, Afghanistan holds a very good strategic place for us with Pakistan, with China, with Syria. You know, it's a, it's a very large country and, you know, it's so perfectly placed to have air bases on. So, you know, it's a shame to have given it up. China's taken all of our hard work and our beautifully formed HESCOs and billions of dollars of infrastructure. The Taliban has taken all of the equipment. And uh, we'll be back in there at some point. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. But now they've got night vision. I just want to see like a shirt, like a meme from from uh, from Die Hard. Ho ho ho! Now I have a machine gun. Ho ho ho! Now I have nods. You know, it's it's nuts. It's absolutely bananas. Anyway, so yes, that was Afghanistan. That was a great country with strong individuals, wonderful human beings, uh, great experiences, and. Uh, and definitely shaped my life. Now, a big thing that I hear people struggle with is a transition from the military into, you know, whatever they do next, from police fire out into, you know, whether it's the civilian world. You talked about, you know, the the elements of parental upbringing that may have been a, you know, a trauma in itself. Now you're witnessing all these things through the, the lens of a camera. When you transition out into law enforcement or from out from more law enforcement into what you're doing now, did you have any element of struggle where, I mean, you, you none of us can escape what we see and do. It's different, you know, in the world of law enforcement, military, stuff like that, you work with people, you know, where you have accountability, where you can voice your opinions and you can step outside if you have to. And if you have that much of a disagreement and you need, need to come to fist, like you guys can go work it out out back. And come back in and be totally fine. The rest of the world isn't like that. So, you know, um, you know, Hollywood is great. That where I work on this show is fantastic. We there's a lot of military culture here. Um, I'm one of the only people on the show that really wasn't in the military uh, as much time as I'd spent around them. Um, but you know, it's, it's, you gotta, you know. Obviously, no one wants you to bring politics to work. No one wants, which is fine. It should be like that. And you should leave politics at home all the time. It shouldn't come out to work. It shouldn't come out to any any dinner. It shouldn't come out to cocktail parties. Your politics are your politics. Who you vote for is who you vote for. You know, it's it's our God-given right as Americans to be able to do that. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a great, great experience. I've had six years here, had a blast have a reason to stay in shape um, and uh, get to give back through it a lot, which is really cool. I get to work with a lot of the charities that wouldn't have really needed me without this platform of the show. So it's, um, I met Justin Wren through this show. Oh, really? 
Yeah, he came up with, uh, I still have it on my wall right here. He came up with one of his kids, Raiden. I remember he was bullied. It was on, on all the social media, the poor kid. Yeah. yeah. Brother Brock. And we hooked up some fun stuff for them in LA, brought them on set, introduced them to everybody, let them watch us film, did a little house party for them. Really cool. Beautiful. Well, just touching on your police career, like you said, I know that you went and, and brought a lot of training to your agency and other agencies, but you spoke as well about the canine element. So at what point did you bring that into your law enforcement agency? Or was that after that? No, that was uh, that was during that. That was seven, six, probably seven years ago. Um, yeah, I brought Dita in to do search and rescue stuff. Uh, we couldn't get the funding that we needed. So I was stuck with a Malinois. So I just paid to have her imprinted on narcotics and, and figured we could maybe slide her in and use her for interdiction work. But then the show kicked off and, and, uh, now she's just a public resources officer. So we go to schools, do dog awareness for the young kids, dog demos for the older kids, any way we can kind of integrate us into the community to kind of become a tighter, tighter unit with the community, you know, hearts and minds. So one thing I saw as well is that you, when you first kind of found yourself on this path, you initially thought it was going to be kind of through a stunt road. I actually have done stunts parallel with my firefighting career, um, but in the the live show. So I didn't really do much on the, on the film and television Firefighter, side. firefighter. You work three days a week. How's that, <laughs> how's that a career? I'm just kidding. I got a lot of love for you guys. <laughs> so hardest, no joke, hardest job in the world you have. I, I went through some fire training and it's, it's gnarly. Eh? It's it one of, there's two calls that I, that I, in my law enforcement career that I've completely hated, hated. One is an unresponsive child and the other is a fire. And I found both of them on the way to each one, just praying, please let EMS or fire get there before me. Um, Cause you got to, you know, you got to do something. You, there's no, but it's like, those are the two calls. Uh, hats off to you guys. Yeah. Well, I think one of those two calls we all hate to, most of us love fire. It's a weird thing in the same way as law enforcement loves a good old gunfight. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the child thing, I, I mean, anyone who isn't, you know, praying that that's, that's, being uh, classified incorrectly is is yeah is a sociopath because doesn't matter how many times you see that you you know that's just one too many so so you're working in law enforcement you're doing the the weapons training i know you did some kind of um uh active shooter stuff you're doing the the pr with the kids walk me through your journey how did you find yourself in the stunt and ultimately the acting world well, they, uh, they needed a dog for SEAL team. And uh, my buddy, Mark Owen, who wrote No Easy Day, called me up. And my buddy, Tyler, who's also on the show, who's a former Delta Force guy, both called me up. I didn't even know they knew each other. And um, they both started talking about TV shows. And I was like, oh, finally put it together that it's the same, same show. So they're like, can you come down with Dita and you'll stunt double one of the actors and, and like do the fast roping and all that stuff. So I was like, yeah, I mean, forget the money side. It was just great training. They had Blackhawks, they had CQB, they had gunfights, all the stuff that I wanted to work with my dog. 
So drove down to New Orleans and did that. And uh, walked in and the showrunner uh, was kind of like the most important guy there was like, hey, you look like a seal. You know how to use a gun. Why don't you just be the dog handler? So they initially just had me on a stunt contract. And then by the end of the first episode, the creator of the show, Ben Caval, is like, hey, I got a gift for you. And I was like, what's up? He threw me a script. And at the end of it, it says Brock and Cerberus exit screen. So my character got named. And then when the show got picked up, CBS called and said, hey, would you like to move out to California? So how many years ago was that now? Six years ago. So what has that journey been like for you? Because here you are, you know, you're you're in the nightclub industry and then you're having this life epiphany, traveling the world with the camera. Now you're doing kind of like the service element when it comes to wearing the badge. You know, what? now you're kind of back in the entertainment space again like you were in, in the nightclub no, industry. I, I work on a TV show. It's a job. I show up on time. I do what I need to do and I add value where I can add value. But, you know, there's nothing's changed in my life. I still wear the same clothes. I'm still the same dude. If I have to sleep in a car one night because I'm driving too far and I get tired, I'll sleep in the back of my truck. You know, it's like, you know, other than drinking better wine and eating better steak, my life is exactly the same. Um, I, I don't need fancy things. I don't need elaborate vacations. I need my family. I need my dogs. I need my 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 friends. That's it. I don't I don't put value. I'm not buying fancy things. I'm not, you know, donate my money and donate what I can to the causes that I believe in. I'll use this platform for the show to do good on a bigger level than I could just as a small town police officer. Um, I love it. I love it. It's so much fun. I get to come to work with my dogs every day. I get to work with 300 plus people that all don't know the meaning of no and are incredibly creative and know how to figure out anything that gets thrown at us. And it's just a dream job. It's awesome. You know, yeah. Could I've come to LA and gotten all into the nightclubs and gone out because I'm verified on Instagram and have a bunch of followers? 100%. But I lived that life already. I've been on more private jets and yachts and crazy hotels as a nightclub guy than I ever will as an actor. The shit doesn't impress me. doesn't interest me. You know, what interests me is being around high caliber individuals, being around people that inspire me and motivate me to be a better person. And, and that's really the blessing that has come out of this whole Hollywood thing. Going back to the nightclubs just for a second, something I wanted to ask you before, um, there, you know, on so many of these conversations, the, the mental health element comes up. I mean, so many people from all walks of life have, as I said, elements of childhood trauma. There are elements of, um, you know, the professions that we do, whether it's, you know, what we're seeing, what we're having to do. Um, and then, you know, the other compounding elements, organizational stress, sleep deprivation, et cetera. And when I look at, not so much nightclubs, but the the music industry and a lot of the music I listened to when I was younger was the the techno, you know, the the rave scene. And so you are up, whether naturally or chemically induced, 
for hours and hours and hours. And then you see things like, um, you know, whether it's the, the rock world, whether it's Avicii or people like that in the dance world. I wonder when there's a, a profession where basically their daytime is nighttime, what element of, of that, you know, the toll of that on mental health as well. So did you ever see kind of oh, any, when you, when you don't see daylight for weeks on end, it fucks with you, man. That's our bodies aren't, we're not nocturnal animals. We need the vitamins from the sun. You know, it's, there's, there's nothing, you know, first of all, I would only ever let my DJs play rock and roll. I never, I didn't like techno. I didn't like house. I didn't like heavy rap, old school rap and rock and roll. That was all you were allowed to play at my places. Um, yeah, it's not good to stay up all night. Even if you don't drink, it's not good for your body. It's like working thirds as a cop. Like if you're working that nighttime graveyard shift, like it's brutal on your body. That's why they cycle people out of it. And you do it for a couple months and then you go back to days. Yeah. And that's, that's a, you know, the conundrum is there is no good way of not sleeping. And I think that's the one thing I talk about. And the fire service is awful for that. Our work weeks are insane. Yeah, all those lazy boy chairs and big screen TVs. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, we have such a. It's true. Yeah, <laughs> they are. They are there. They just don't get used very much because we're running twenty four hours a day on all the EMS calls these days. But sure, sure. <laughs> I see the barbecue Instagrams. <laughs> One of the best Instagram posts I, I I saw was a fire station with a road sign that says "Shh, sleeping fire, fire sleeping." <laughs> and the cop car comes up and turns on a siren and does donuts outside. I literally saw that a few months ago. And I like the other one where there's a fire station and then the sign outside says cop hiding. And then there's a speed trap right behind it. <laughs> so, wow. so, uh, yeah, obviously the, the show at some point is going to, you know, come to a conclusion as they all do. What is your projection of what you're going to do after this now? You found yourself in this space. Obviously your, your role was very niche with the dog. What are you projecting will be the next chapter? My friend, you're just going to have to wait and find out. <laughs> uh, my life is about doing. I don't got visions, get ideas, but also who knows what opportunity is going to arise. And it's just a matter of being there when it happens and saying yes. Absolutely. You know, there's, there's only one way to get shit done in this world. And this is say yes, unless it's illegal or immoral. I say, yes, I don't care if I only sleep three hours or I miss a day of sleep. I get it done. It's a, you know, the most important thing if I can teach my kids, one thing, you know, is, is get it done. A lot of people will sit there and talk about it. Very few people actually make things happen. So be a doer. Absolutely. Now, one thing that I, I read as well while you were filming, and like I said, you know, I've been in the stunt world. I've I've had people I've worked with that have had accident. I've had the um, Olivia Jackson on the show, who was a stunt woman that was almost killed on Resident Evil. And I know that you had a an injury on set doing a stunt with with your dog. So again, it wasn't, it wasn't on. It wasn't for the show. It was some outside training I was putting on. Uh, and okay. We, yeah, I never. We were, we were doing, uh, we were hoisting up to an aircraft and the hoist line snapped. Ah. So we had a catastrophic equipment failure. I should be dead. Burned in from like 26 feet. Uh, thank God I do what I preach. And I had my dog in the position that like one of my biggest pet peeves is seeing when dogs are below people 
uh, on spy lines, fast ropes, short hauls, rappels. Always had to have your dog above you. And that's a perfect case in point, because if my dog was below me or between my legs, I would have broke her back and killed her. She landed on me. I'm a good pillow for her. <laughs> you know, that's there's no world in where, uh, you know, where I kill my dog. <laughs> can't, I can't even imagine that. Well, I want to go to some closing questions to throw them at you before uh, I let you go. But before I do, you touched on some of the nonprofits that you're able to use this platform now. And I think that's, you know, that's what everyone should be doing when they when they have, you know, more than their family's eyeballs on them. So what are some of the the organizations that you're passionate about? Oh, God, there's a there's a bunch. I love the boot campaign. I do a lot of work with them. Um, I've got a lot of friends who have actually been helped by them as well, which is fantastic. Uh, love the Word of Honor Foundation, which is a gold star charity, which helps family of uh, family members uh, that have lost their father in combat for a specific naval special warfare unit. Um, I really love MWDTSA because it focuses on the canines deployed. Um, we raise every year. My dogs will raise a thousand plus toys through our fans to get to working dogs downrange. So every, every pup gets a Christmas present. Um, let's see what else we got that I really love. The honor foundation is great. Um, they help transitioning dudes out of special operations into civilian world, which is awesome because there's so much talent in the teams. Uh, and in special operations and, and how do we bring those people out into the civilian world and help them inspire people to be better, more efficient, uh, and bring their knowledge and experience from the battlefield to the workplace, which is fantastic. I mean, I could go on for 10 hours talking about charities. So Beautiful. All right. Well, then the first of the closing questions I love to ask, is there a book or are there books that you love to recommend? It can be related to our discussion day or today or completely unrelated. Ooh, I think The Alchemist is a book that I would always recommend to somebody to read. Really love The Alchemist. Uh, the Last Kingdom is is a series of novels which I've been uh, into right now. It's it's they had a TV show on Netflix recently called The Last Kingdom, but it's the book. Watch the TV show first because it's fucking rad. Um, Love that. See what other books that I've read recently. No Easy Day by Mark Owen. I think everybody should read that. Uh, and War by Se Sebastian Younger is one of my favorite books. I think everybody returning home from a deployment should read that before they get to go home. Yeah, I think Tribe as well. They need to read Tribe. You've read that? Yep. That was great as well. I mean, Sebastian Younger is brilliant. Uh, and then The Giving Tree. Saddest kid book in the world. Absolutely. But I mean, God, what a powerful story. And it's needed right now. You know, I wish uh, a lot of his wisdom and Dr. Seuss and some of these people that they keep trying to take out of our schools, uh, the messages in those. They have done. They've succeeded. <laughs> only, in, you know, only if as a parent, you don't just give the child the same book anyway. So, um, all right. Well, then what about uh, a movie? That's your genre anyway. So movies and or documentaries. You know, uh, War Dog was a great documentary. The military working dogs really enjoyed that. 
and got to spend some time with the guys on that. Um, Spinal Tap. It's a great documentary. <laughs> Movies. Tropic Thunder. Always a win. Um, really loved Pulp Fiction's a favorite. Heat. Can't can't fuck with Heat. Black Hawk Down. And a documentary I've been dying to see is is the rescue about the cave rescue and in Thailand. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. dying to see that. I haven't had a second. I need to circle around to the guy. Ashley, there was a one of the rescues was a retired British firefighter. And I reached out to him and I got a very abrupt, blunt reply. But I'm wondering if firstly there was probably at the tail end of all the journalists that were coming to them. And secondly, mentally, it was probably, you know, bothering him, to be honest. So now they've done the film, I need to circle around because yeah, I mean what a what an incredibly heroic you know, thing that they did. And I know they lost one of the Thai seals in that attempt as well. Yeah. No, no, that, that would be a, I can't even imagine being down in that cave. No, I mean, it, it freaks me out when you see that Instagram video of that little hole that people drop down for their, uh, <laughs> on vacation. So I don't know where it is, but they, they disappear in this hole, end up further down this little waterfall. And that in itself looks bad enough. So, all right. Well, then the next question, is there a person that you recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military and associated professions of the world? I ha- I, I do. But as what he did for a living, I'd want to check with him first before I say his name out here. But I do have someone that I would recommend. Beautiful. Yeah. Let me know off mic then. That'd be amazing. Thank you. Um, all right. Well, then the last question before we make sure everyone knows where to find you. What do you do to decompress? feed my cows clean their shit out of the pen work my ranch uh, cut you know make firewood Uh, you know don't don't have don't have too much time these days but when i can like to get out on the horse and go ride um just like being outside and is the ranch life something new to you? I mean, a, a young man that grew up in New York City and then the Northeast. It's like every other dude, watch Yellowstone, made a bunch of money and bought a ranch. <laughs> Living the dream. Beautiful. Do you have any climbing near you now? Uh, not where I'm at. Okay. Is that something you still do though, in, indoor or? No, not indoor. I, I like climbing outdoors. I'll still go whenever I can, but um, most of the climbing we do now is all urban stuff on ships, you know more military focused stuff brilliant all right well i'm sure people are fascinated where are the best places to find you on social media and there any other places online you want to direct people towards this instagram man brilliant well i just want to thank you it's been a, a great conversation i know Dorothy put this together very quickly and i'm sure that you are absolutely slammed so i appreciate you carving out an hour to come on the show and speak to the audience today My pleasure. Great to meet you. Take care. Thanks for your time.